Welcome to episode 157 of This Week in Linux, your weekly source for Linux news. From the Destination Linux Network, I'm Michael Tunnell. If you're new to the show, this is a podcast that will keep you up to date with what's going on in the Linux world, and I'll give you my take as a 20-year-plus Linux user. Coming up on this week's episode, we've got distro news from the team at Rocky Linux for their announcement of the 8.4 stable release, also from the Debian team with Debian 10.10. In app news, Canonical has announced a new LTS support service for the application Blender. We'll talk about what that means. Plus, we'll check out the latest release of K My Money. NVIDIA announced availability of the 470 drivers with DLSS support in Proton. We'll talk about what that means. And later in the show, we're bringing back the lightning round of topics that we tested out on a previous episode and so much more, including something that may hurt your wallets, which is the Steam Summer Sale. All that and so much more coming up right now on this episode of Twill, your weekly source for Linux news. Up first in the show this week is Rocky Linux 8.4 has been released. So if you're not familiar, Rocky Linux is a rebuild of RHEL. This is a topic that we've talked about multiple times on the show in regards to RHEL and rebuild and CentOS and all that sort of stuff. Uh, since December of last year, it's been a very hot topic and Rocky Linux is at the top of the community's attention alongside Alma Linux. So we're gonna talk about the latest release with Rocky Linux 8.4 and some more stuff later on in the topic. But first of all, 8.4 has, uh, they, they basically said that it has been sufficient testing that has been have performed on this release. And they say that it is, uh, they're confident in the stability for production systems. And they have multiple different uh, images available for builds. So there's our different architectures like x86-64, ARM64, and they also have cloud images and container images available for those who are want that. Uh, they say that, uh, this is a quote from the announcement, this is just the beginning and the RESF is more than just Rocky Linux. It's a home for those that believe that open source isn't just a switch that can be toggled at will and that projects that may, 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 many rely on not be the subject of the whims of a few. To this point, you can easily find all of our sources, our build infrastructure, Git repositories, and everything else anyone would want who would need to fork our work and ensure that it continues to if it needs to be. So this is really interesting because... There's a lot of, you know, kind of an issue related to what happened with CentOS that is kind of some drama around it. Now, I'm going to go into more details in a future video on this channel because it requires a lot to dig in on every different facet. But I think it's actually a win-win situation all around, and I'll give more details about what that means in that particular video. But in this latest release, we also found out that they're going to do uh, free community support, which is available through their Mattermost chat, the IRC, and their forums. They're also doing paid commercial support, uh, which is available through a company called CIQ. And this is interesting because there's, uh, in a alongside uh, Rocky Linux, there's also Alma Linux that's doing paid support as well in the same style with the community support and the, and the paid support, which is to me is really interesting because one of the things that made CentOS kind of an issue for a lot of people was that there was no way to get support. It's either you you deal with it or you use RHEL and that kind of thing. So there's a lot of changes that are happening with this sort of enterprise world of Linux. And last night there was a Rocky Linux release party that I attended and it was pretty fun. There were discussions about all sorts of different things, not just Rocky Linux, and it was certainly enjoyable. But uh, unfortunately, if you didn't able, you weren't able to uh, attend, there is no recording of it or you know published version of it so there you go uh, but it was it was definitely uh, interesting to experience that kind of thing 
Uh, now, I think a, I think a lot of distribution should consider that, or a lot of projects in general, because it is a fun experience experience to hang out with the people who are working on the particular project. So keep that in mind for anybody who is running a project. It would be cool. And also, if you do make a release party, send me a link. I would definitely be interested in checking it out. Now, of course, this is not the only alternative to CentOS, as there have been also many others like Oracle and uh, Alma Linux as options. Uh, we, we've been covering this topic ever since the you know day one of those changes that were announced for CentOS. And personally, I think Rocky Linux and Alma Linux uh, have the most compelling offerings for how they are doing uh, doing this, with both offering paid support options. I'm certainly curious to see how this turns out for the market, like the enterprise market. I also think it'll be interesting to see how the structures of the two uh, different projects are affected because for those who don't know, Rocky Enterprise Software Foundation or RESF or RESIF, I don't know if you're supposed to say it that way, but I want to, is a public benefit corporation or PBC, aka a B Corp. Whereas the Alma Linux OS Foundation is a 501c6 nonprofit. Now, this difference is something that some people may find as a reason to use one or the other. But to be clear, I'm not a lawyer by any stretch, so I'm not saying which is better. But I do think it's interesting to see as like a test bed to see which structure works best for this kind of space. So I think this is a win-win situation for everyone involved, uh, even Red Hat, in fact. So I, I'm working on that video that I mentioned earlier so to get more details to find out why it's a win-win, in my opinion. So if you're interested, be sure to subscribe to the channel. It'll be posted on the YouTube channel and the Odyssey channel for those who you know prefer which platform. I'm certainly going to be continuing to pay attention to this space and, of course, keep you updated here on the show as things progress. But for now, links to Rocky Linux 8.4 in the show notes. Up next in the show is a really interesting piece of information related to a support service for Blender that Canonical has launched. That's right. Canonical, the makers of Ubuntu, has partnered up with the Blender Foundation to offer paid enterprise support around the LTS or long-term support versions of Blender. For those unfamiliar with Blender, Blender is a free and open source 3D creation suite. It supports all sorts of things, including 3D modeling, uh, rigging, animation, simulation, rendering, compositing, motion tracking, and video editing, and even uh, 2D animations as well. So Mark Shuttleworth, the CEO of Canonical States, it's a privilege to support Blender and the fantastic work of this remarkable community, its founders and leaders. Today's announcement strengthens the Blender with full-service Canonical support and long-term security maintenance and delivers the level of assurance that professional Blender content creators need in partnership with the Blender Foundation. This is very interesting. It's, it's certainly an interesting move for Canonical that is normally focused on offering LTS or LTS enterprise support around the Linux distribution uh, of Ubuntu. The company is, is now offering paid enterprise support for Blender's LTS releases, which is very, very interesting. And this LTS support extends beyond just Blender on Ubuntu. It also includes other Linux distributions as well as macOS and Windows, which is definitely, definitely interesting. So Blender recently published its 2020 annual report outlining the organization's vision and strengthened mission statement. They state to get the world's best 3D technology in the hands of artists as free and open source software and allow them to make amazing things with it. So this statement enables um, you know, a, a really interesting situation because they're trying to get it as many people as possible. And with this partnership with Canonical, that gives them uh, gives 
a different perspective for a lot of companies because they now are not just you know using this software and hoping that it's all good. They now have a, a support service available for them, which is very, very interesting. And uh, although Blender has received massive industry support and adoption in the, in the years it's been around, many years it's been around, one of the issues that remains unaddressed for, well, almost two decades is the lack of commercial software support contracts that were available. So this is important because enterprises find support contracts vital for the purchase of essential products. And with uh, Blender, Blender Foundation's chairman, uh, Ton Rosendahl, uh, adds that the the way that Canonical structured this service with us is exemplary for the open source movement. I believe it is well set a new standard, or it will set a new standard for how independent free groups of makers who truly care for their product and users participate in the market and shape the future of the industry, end quote. So the initial enterprise plans for Blender by Canonical include uh, 24, by, uh, 24 hours, five days a week support that starts at $500 USD per year and 24-7 coverage, which is $1,000 per year. Now, I think this is very interesting, and I look forward to see how this works out for both parties involved, whether for Blender and Canonical. Uh, I also think it would be very cool to see other companies jump in to provide these kinds of services like this for Blender, uh, as well as also more projects do something similar, like because uh, open source is an amazing philosophy and a way of creating software. It is fantastic, but it does have one drawback, and that is it's very rare to see paid support or any kind of service structure attached to it. Now, it does happen, but it's, it's not common uh, at all. So this could be a proving ground for more uh, projects in the future to consider doing something like this. And I personally hope it is a proving ground that shows that projects should consider doing something like this, whether it's with Canonical, whether it's on their own, whether they have uh, another company like Red Hat or SUSE involved or whatever. I think it'd be very interesting to see you know, what comes from this partnership. And if you'd like to learn more about this new partnership, you'll find links in the show notes below. Up next in the show this week, we're going to talk about some really interesting news from NVIDIA because NVIDIA and Valve are bringing DLSS to Proton, which will make it, uh, actually some very dramatic performance imp improvements and benefits to the support of Windows games being played on Linux thanks to this new sh support for the DLSS. And also there's hopefully some more impressive results for uh, frames per seconds and that sort of stuff because a lot of people have been anticipating this for quite a while. Now, the N NVIDIA wrote that NVIDIA DLSS support for Vulkan API games will enable Linux gamers to use the dedicated AI tensor cores of, of their GeForce RTX GPUs to accelerate frame rates in Doom Eternal, No Man's Sky, and Wolfenstein Youngblood, as well as other games, and support for DLSS enhanced DirectX titles running via Proton will arrive later this fall. So NVIDIA's Deep Learning Super Sampling, or DLSS, has been popular among Windows gamers as a temporal image upscaling technique leveraging AI and accelerated uh, using the tensor cores for, with uh, NVIDIA GeForce 8, uh, RTX graphics cards. And it will be fun to see how well it works inside of Steam Play because in, NVIDIA is doing a lot of cool stuff with this uh, in terms of like a lot of games implementing it to improve the overall experience. And also NVIDIA's uh, Linux users have been eagerly awaiting the latest driver release for the 470 driver series, which in introduces improvements for uh, Wayland support. It also has work included, including for uh, OpenGL and v the API acceleration within 
Exwalen, 4, OpenGL, and Vulkan. In addition, there are a number of improvements for the uh, Prime Display and Offload, as well as many more Vulkan driver-related extensions are now working with this new 470 driver and a lot more stuff. And if you'd like to learn more about the NVIDIA DLSS technology or the 470 driver, then you, as you might expect, link in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean and their app platform. DigitalOcean's app platform service is a solution to build modern cloud-native apps. You can use a simple, intuitive, and visually rich experience with their UIs to rapidly build, deploy, manage, and scale applications on their app platform because it has support for Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, static sites, Docker, and container images. It offers high scalability with zero infrastructure management. What does that mean? Well, it's, you simply point your GitHub or GitLab repository to the app platform and let it handle all of the heavy lifting for you, such as the infrastructure like app runtimes and dependencies, so that you can push code to production in just a few clicks. And you also it will handle the uh, securing of your apps automatically thanks to creating the uh, creating, managing, and renewing your SSL certificates, as well as protecting you against DDoS attacks. You can also run code with little to no customization because the app platform uses open cloud-native standards, automatically analyzes your code, creates container based on that analysis, and then runs them on Kubernetes clusters. And as a listener of This Week in Linux podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free with the app platform. Actually, better than free because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 free credit when you go to do.co slash DLN. That's do.co slash DLN to get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's app platform. And we want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of This Week in Linux. Quick warning for everybody who is listening to the show. You need to hide your cash, hide your wallets, hide your credit cards, because the Steam Summer Sale is live right now. First of all, I just want to say you're welcome for the information that the sale is happening so you didn't miss out on all the deals. And also, I'm sorry to your bank accounts because you didn't miss out on all the deals. With that said, there are a lot of games on sale, and this sale is running from now until 10 a.m. Pacific time on Thursday, July 8th. So there's games like Stellaris, which is 75% off, City Skylines, also 75% off, Metro Exodus, which is 70% off, a Tabletop Simulator, which is 50% off, Crusader Kings 3 is 20% off, and Valheim is 10% off, which is the first sale of Valheim since it was released, so I'm very tempted to check it out. Also, I'm very tempted to check out Hollow Knight because it is 50% off in the Steam Summer Sale, and Hollow Knight is really interesting because they have this, this was released years ago, but there's been a lot of big updates for this game that have been rolling out for quite a while. They also recently released support for Vulkan, and it now being the default graphics API for the Linux build. And I've been meaning to get this game for a while, and now thanks to the Steam Summer Sale, I feel like I have no other choice. So. I will be doing that soon, right after the show, even. So also, Proton 6.3-5 is out now, which includes fixes for mini games and support for uh, more games to be playable on uh, Linux. And of course, support for NVIDIA's DLSS functionality is in that release of Proton. And, you know, PC gaming is so much cheaper than console gaming. As I started becoming a PC gamer, I realized that it's so much more... Uh, cost-effective to be a PC gamer when it comes to the cost of each of the games. But with a Steam Summer Sale, it's even cheaper. So if you'd like to bust out your wallet and get to gaming, you'll find links in the show notes. In fact, 
you'll find a link to the summer sale. And if you only want native Linux games, then go to destinationlinux.network slash steam sale, which will automatically filter the results to show only games that are on sale and are Linux native. Plus, I'll have links to uh, ProtonDB if you want to check out to see if the game that you want in the summer sale is supported by Proton. All of those links in the show notes below. Last week, I covered Windows 11 on this show as a joke to amuse myself, but this week it is actually relevant to the show because Microsoft decided to make some hardware modifications to the requirements and they've also made a lot of hardware incompatible with the next version of Windows. So the system requirements for Windows 11 don't seem to be that restrictive at first because it says users will need a modern 64-bit processor that's at least a dual core and clocked at 1 gigahertz or greater. That's kind of reasonable. It also wants uh, 4 gigabytes of RAM or more and a minimum screen resolution of 1366 by 768. All of these are totally reasonable. But it gets much worse. It's only possible to install Windows 11 on hardware that has UEFI, Secure Boot, and a trusted platform module with version 2.0 or TPM 2.0. And it's this TP, this 2.0 part that is the important part here. This set of hardware requirements excludes a huge range of hardware, including some of Microsoft's own products. So Tom Warren, the senior editor at The Verge, reports on Twitter that Microsoft has confirmed that Windows 11 will only support 8th gen and up CPUs. According to Microsoft, this means that Windows 11 will not install on earlier CPUs, which says it's not even going to support Microsoft's own Surface Pro 4, Surface Pro 2017, and Surface Studio 2 will not be upgradable to Windows 11. As I said before, the TPM2 is a problem, but there's yet another problem thanks to this decision from Microsoft because that this the 2.0 modules have skyrocketed in price thanks to this announcement as the availability drops. These modules went from around $25 to now up to around $100 per. So uh, Shin Yi, the senior director and global head of hardware products at HTC posted on Twitter, Thanks to Windows 11, people are scalping TPM 2.0 modules as well now, so that in just 12 hours, it went from $24.90 to $99.90. So this is uh, definitely not the best news for uh, Windows users. So it could be, though, good news for us. We'll get to that in a second. But with that said, it is worth noting that your hardware may actually be compatible without you even knowing it, because some systems have TPM turned off, which means that you could go into the BIOS and turn it on and maybe allowed to be able to use it if you happen to have a 2.0 TPM, which is a trusted platform module. Now, you probably don't, depending on your hardware, based on how much hardware is out there and how much is actually supported, but it is worth noting that there is that. So, uh, I know I hear you asking, how is this relevant to Linux and this show? Well, I think it actually is very relevant for a lot of reasons, but most importantly, this creates an opportunity for Linux to take a significant amount of market share. This is not the first time Microsoft has made a boneheaded decision creating a window for Linux to swoop in and, you know, but every time it's happened in the past, Linux wasn't really ready for the masses at the time. I think this has drastically changed though. I think the platform is actually ready this time, unlike previous windows of poor windows releases. Uh, I have been a user of Linux and an advocate for it for over 20 years, but for most of that time, 
I've been hesitant to, you know, about who I attempt to convince to use it because it wasn't just ready for everyone just yet. But I think it's at this point, the average user would have a blast using Linux and not having to worry about all the headaches and irritations that come with using Windows where it just randomly forces you to reboot your system for whatever reason it it deems worthy for it. Also, the telemetry that is just rampant in Windows these days. I think Linux is primed to capitalize it on this on it this time. Uh, so I'm covering this news on the show because I want to hopefully push the conversation in that direction. So like Red Hat, Canonical, SUSE, System76, Blue Systems, or anyone really, let's do this. Let's capitalize on the situation that Microsoft has been so graciously uh, offering to us and you know put some more effort into getting more people to try out Linux because I think we now have a prime opportunity to take advantage of a another bonehead decision by Microsoft. I'll have some links in the show notes for my sources of this topic. And also there will be a link to a live stream that Ryan and I did on his DOS Geek channel where we talk about the announcements of Windows 11 because it is it is an interesting thing that happened with like all the different features that are coming in Windows 11 as well as the you know the system requirement stuff. Uh, so I think you, you'll want to check that out. We do a quick review of the Windows 11 from the perspective of Linux users. And I think it's a great video. And you'll most certainly want to check out you know, what we have to say on it. Because it's actually a pretty fun video, too. I think it's quite entertaining because we have a little bit of a riff back and forth. So check that out. I have that linked in the show notes as well as the sources for this topic. Up next in the show this week, we're going to talk about Debian for a couple of reasons. First of all, Debian 10.10 has been released. This is a maintenance release for Debian, which is mostly uh, fixes and security updates and that sort of stuff. And this is to be expected because most of the work on Debian is going towards Debian 11 right now. And while we still don't have a release date for this version of Debian, because uh, Debian doesn't really do scheduled release dates anyway, I do expect to be relatively soon based on the previous release timelines and structures and, and pat patterns and kind of thing like that. Uh, but this latest release of 10.10 has a total of 136 updated packages split into uh, 55 security updates and 81 bug fix updates. Uh, but that's not really the reason I wanted to talk about Debian this week. Well, the reason is because I came across something this week I thought you, that might be interest to some of you. So uh, now before you get too excited about this, it's very early in development. There's not a lot of content available on this repository, but I think it is certainly interesting enough to be on the show. And that is the Debian user repository or the DUR, or as I would want it to be called, DUR. I, I don't know if it's supposed to be that or not, but I want it to be. Essentially, this is taking the concept of the AUR from Arch Linux and implementing it for Debian. It also seems like it's able to take package builds from the AUR and use those to make the deb packages. Now, this is interesting and kind of funny in a way, because oftentimes the AUR will use deb packages to make package builds. So there may be occasions where a deb exists somewhere, the AUR pulls in the deb to make the package build, and then the DUR pulls in the package build to make a new deb. I'm not saying that's how it works. I'm just saying that it could happen based on the way that the package builds are set up in some occasions and that kind of thing. But I think this is really interesting in general because, you know, keep in mind this, the DUR is very, very new. So there's not that much content. Actually, I think it's like a, only a handful of packages are even in the repository, but at some point that could change. So I wanted to, you know, let people know about it because I think it's just overall interesting that someone's working on this kind of thing. 
Now, a lot of people have been, uh, you know, asking over the years of like, why do some of these other distributions not have an AUR type of thing? Well, there actually are other alternatives and different distributions that people just don't talk about that much. So, for example, the Open Build service in OpenSUSE is essentially the same thing as an AUR. Actually, it's more powerful than an AUR because the Open Build service can make packages not only for just OpenSUSE, but it can also make Debian packages, Arch packages, even app images, all sorts of stuff. The OB, the OBS is a super powerful platform, so that is a you know something that is not talked about in the same vein as the AUR, but totally could be used in that way. And also Fedora has the Copper repository or the COPR repository that is very similar in how that the AUR works. So and in terms of like it, it actually does more. It has binaries. Well, technically AUR has binaries too. But anyway, the uh, Fedora Copper is another option. And uh, Ubuntu, you could kind of argue that the PPAs are the same kind or similar anyway, but not exactly. So, but Debian doesn't have one. And this is an interesting thing that they're making it because I, it's, it's, I'm very curious to see how the Debian community would receive this. Like, I'm not sure how the reception would be for this kind of thing, because I would expect it to be a mixed bag at best because of the Debian community is very adamant about using the packages from the, the, the repositories of Debian, not necessarily the, a user-generated thing. Because if you don't know, the AUR and other things basically allow anyone to submit code for being built on the system, or in cases of AUR, being able to submit a package build and you be able to compile it on your system. And there's no like auditing of that code. It's just anybody can submit it. So Debian is not typically in favor of that kind of thing. So I'm very curious to see what the reception of the Debian community would be for this kind of thing. In fact, I don't think this has been sanctioned by Debian. And since Debian has a registered trademark, this might even be violating that trademark by using the name this way. I don't know. Okay, I'm veering off at this point. I don't know. And also obligatory, not a lawyer statement. There you go. Have that. Just put that in there. <laughs> if you'd like to check out Debian 10.10, because you can't wait for le for 11, which Debian users not being able to wait seems like kind of like a contradictory statement. But either way, I'll, I'll have a link for that in the show notes, as well as a link to the Debian user repository in the show notes as well, if you'd like to check that out. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash DLN. Bitwarden is a password manager, which is software that allows you to keep peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. How does it do that? Well, Securing your online accounts is very important because, well, the best practice for security of your passwords is to have a different password for every account on every website that you sign up to. And this makes sense as a policy, of course, but without a password manager, that's a very painful thing to do when people don't typically do it if they don't have a password manager. And that's why you need to get a password manager. And the reason you need to get a Bitwarden is because it is the best password manager available because they provide tools like being able to store your passwords in a secured vault, auto-generate those passwords for you automatically, whether you want to do passwords or passphrases, even automatically fill in those passwords on login forms so you don't have to do that part. And it works across many different types of devices, whether it's your web browser extensions, uh, mobile apps, desktop applications, and even on the command line. And Bitwarden seals your data without, without it ever leaving your system before it is into an encrypted so when it leaves your system, it's all, it's in this gibberish, nonsense, encrypted data. So there's no way that anyone has access to see that data uh, without your 
your key. So you are the only person who has access to that data, which is a very important piece of why Bitwarden is awesome. And another reason why Bitwarden is awesome, because in addition to all of these great features, it's also 100% open source software. That's right, 100% open source, which means the features and security of the infrastructure and the software can be vetted and improved by the community and all sorts of great features. And open source is such an important piece to, uh, well, me in general, but also to Bitwarden, which is why I'm so thankful to have them as a sponsor of the show. So go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started. And did I mention you can get started for free? Well, you can, but I also think you want to check out the premium accounts because there's a lot of great features available to you. And it also starts at less than a dollar per month. That's right. For just $10 per year, you get one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator for temporary one-time passwords, priority customer service, and so much more. So make the smart move like many from the community have and go to bitwarden.com DLN. This lets you get peace of mind for your passwords and other sensitive data while also supporting a company that truly gets open source. Sign up for their $10 per year premium account to let them know that you appreciate them supporting open source and supporting the This Week in Linux podcast. Go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring This Week in Linux. Up next on the show is the latest release of K My Money 5.1.2 has been released. This is a personal finance manager for humans, as they describe it. K My Money is a cross-platform personal finance manager built on KDE framework technologies for desktop and uh, notebook environments and that sort of stuff. It enables uh, users to cre to uh, keep careful track of their personal finance and providing a broad array of financial features and tools. So let's talk about uh, some features that they talk about that they mention on their website. But first, they they provide some uh, principal goals that they have for K My Money, and I think that's very interesting because they say that ease of use, familiarity, and accuracy are the most important goals for K My Money. So they say that it strives to be the easiest open source personal finance manager to use, especially for non-technical users, and also providing features and functionality that is available in other uh, alternatives that make it you know easy to be familiar with it and be able to transition to be able to use it and that sort of stuff. And some of the stuff they have is features like uh, financial summary gives you an overview of your finances, including uh, overdue upcoming schedule transactions, uh, the summary uh, also shows your accounts and their, their current balances. You can even customize the summary so you can have custom reports that you would like to, to display there, as well as it shows you like different types of ways. If you have multiple accounts, it'll show you details about each of the accounts of how they're uh, organized and viewed and managed by the institutions that they're at and these sorts of things. It's, it's really interesting. And you may be wondering, Michael, is this a personal finance app that you would recommend? Well, hypothetical question that I asked myself, I don't know. I like to think I'm pretty good with personal finance. I pay my bills on time. I don't spend money where it isn't necessary. And just real quick, the Steam Summer Sale is necessary, people, okay? Get off my back about random thoughts in my own head. Anyway, as I look through all of the features of this application, I realize that when it comes to personal finance, I'm not the worst person at it, but I do have a lot to learn. So, okay, my money will be maybe a great for you. A great fit, I mean. Uh, maybe it won't. I don't know. It might be great for me. I don't know. Yet. I don't know yet. But something I do know is that if you want to check out K My Money 5.1.2, you'll find a link in the show notes. Up next in the show, the Document Foundation has announced that LibreOffice native document format, the Open Document Format, or ODF, has been approved 
as an OASIS standard, where the 1.3 version has been approved as an OASIS standard, with 14 votes to confirm with a grand total of zero objections, which is very nice. Uh, for those unfamiliar, the ODF is a free, open, XML-based document file format for uh, Office applications. So the uh, ODF is used for documents containing text, spreadsheets, charts, graphical elements, and etc., uh, OASIS stands for the Organization for the Advancement of Structured Information Standards. It seems like they purposely wanted the acronym to be OASIS, which I understand. It's a, it's a good acronym. Anyway, OASIS is a global nonprofit consortium that works on the development, convergence, and adoption of open standards for uh, cybersecurity, blockchain, Internet of Things, emergency management, cloud computing, uh, energy, content technologies, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, ODF 1.3 is an update to the International Standard version 1.2, which was approved by the uh, International Organization for Standardization, or ISO, in 2015. And the most important new features for ODF 1.3 are digital signatures for documents and open PGP-based encryption of XML documents, with improvements in areas such as uh, change tracking and document security, and also other improvements like additional details in the descriptions of elements and first pages, text uh, numbers and charts and all that sort of stuff. So it's very interesting. If you want to learn more about this uh, this update from LibreOffice and the Document Foundation, I'll have a link in the show notes below. In a previous episode of Twill, I tried out a new lightning round style of content, and it had a very good reception. So I decided to bring it back this week in a bundle of beta releases. So let's get to it. First up, the lightning round, we have Python 3.10, because Python 3.10 beta is now available for testing in Fedora Linux as well as beta release of NVIDIA's 470 drivers is also now in Fedora. So if you'd like to try it out and give uh, feedback to NVIDIA for the hardware acceleration support on x you can do so right now with Fedora 34. We talked about this earlier in the show. So if you want to try it out, there you can go. You can check out Fedora 34. And also Linux Mint 20.2 beta release is available. There's a lot of new updates for this release that's coming out. So there's new update notification system. Update Manager handles the automation of Flatpak updates now. Also, there's a new application for a bulk renaming of files, which is a bit bulky. As you can, the name of the application is bulky. Anyway, there's also some other improvements like Sticky Notes replaces G Notes as the default application for taking notes, and Warpinator file transfer application now supports uh, mobile devices and a bunch of other stuff. So you want to check that out? Link in the show notes for that. Also, Proxmox 7.0 Beta 1 Virtual Environment. This is the first beta release of Proxmox Virtual Environment 7.0. The 7.x family is based on the uh, Debian 11 Bullseye releases, which is coming up sometime relatively soon. And it comes with uh, Kernel 5.11, QEMU 6.0, LXC 4.0, OpenZFS 2.0.4, and many other things like some improvements to the Ceph server and ButterFS which is a modern copy-on-write file system, is nat natively supported in this release, and a bunch of other stuff that is available in Proxmox 7.0. Link in the show notes. Again, beta release. Also, another beta release, Postgres SQ or PostgreSQL uh, 14 Beta 2 has been released. If you're not familiar, Post Postgres is a powerful open-source object relational database system. And it's been around for a long time. It's got like 30 years of active development. And it's a very popular database system that is used on a lot of websites, uh, you know, out in the ether. So uh, it's very important. And it's really great to see them, you know, the, the Postgres 14 coming out 
very soon, so that's awesome. If you want to check out any of the topics we covered in the lightning round for the betas, the bundle of betas, you can check out all of that in the show notes below. Speaking of bundles, there's also a lot of Humble Bundles available right now. You can check out some games from the UK Games Collective Bundle, the Out in the Open World Bundle, also an Epic Game Store Bundle, which is, but if if you want it, there you go. Uh, There's also a bunch of book bundles. For example, there's the Virtual Tabletop Maps for Digital Fantasy and Dungeons, uh, Van Helsing and Friends uh, bundle. There's also some really interesting stuff like Data Science and Data Analytics by Mercury bundle, uh, Advanced AI by Morgan Claypool bundle, and as well as Level Up Your Work and Life by Mango Media bundle, which is a lot of interesting stuff, including one that was called a Whopper of a Story which is the story about the guy who started Burger King, which is really interesting. Anyway, check out the links in the show notes for all the Humble Bundles available in the current set of bundles. And just real quick, the links are affiliate links. So if you do decide to get any of the bundles, uh, please use those links because a small percentage of whatever you purchase will be uh, given back to this show. And I would very much appreciate that. So again, uh, links in the show notes. And uh, yeah. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on the show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the channel and the show, we have multiple ways you can do that via PayPal, Patreon, sponsors, and many others. You can learn more by going to tuxdigital.com contribute. And you can also get the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt by going to dealinstore.com as well as the This Week in Linux shirt that I'm wearing in the video version uh, that you can get there as well at dlnstore.com. And many, many more things are available at dlnstore.com, including uh, hats, mugs, uh, shirts, hoodies, uh, stickers, uh, aprons, backpacks, even, even things that you wouldn't expect to be there is there. Because, you know, I didn't expect people wanting aprons. But they did, so I made it. And the reason why you get the apron is because if you get the spe- specifically, if you get the this weekend Linux apron, it allows you to twill while you grill, and whatever. It's, it's worth it. It's worth it. <laughs> also, if you would like to become a patron, you can become a patron and join me in the recording stadium. And oh, well, the skybox for patrons. You can join me to discuss stuff in between the topics every every week, as well as the uh, patron only post show at the end of every episode each and every week. So you can do that by going to tuxedo.com slash contribute. And if you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me while you're at the Dale in store, be sure to skip over to the Destination Linux Network website, which will be there anyway, because that's where the store is. You can check out all the great podcasts there. You can check out Destination Linux, which is a podcast I'm also on, as well as Hardware Addicts, which is a podcast that I'm also on, and many other podcasts, including Pseudo Show, DLN Extends, GameSphere, and more. The Fedora Podcast is now a part of the Destination Linux Network. So much cool stuff there. Go to destinationlinux.network to check that out. And also, just a reminder, this show is live every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time or 1700 UTC. So join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux news each and every week by going to dealinlive.com. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tanell with the Destination Linux Network. And as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux. And I'll see you next week for another episode of your weekly source for Linux news. <laughs> <laughs>